Welcome to the Colby Daniels Podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products, including Kratom, CBD, and the new Delta 8 capsules. If you're unfamiliar with these products, give them a call, 405-458-9699. Ask questions and let them educate you on how these can benefit your daily life. That's what they're all about, is helping people live a better life. And we're able to save you right now 15% off your online order at abotanicalcompany.com with the discount code Colby Show, C-O-L-B-Y-S-H-O-W. When you order online, abotanicalcompany.com, use the discount code Colby Show for 15% off your online order at Artisan Botanicals. Uh, easy and safe pickup. They have a drive through so it's a very simple process. So again, check out the website. Use Colby Show for 15% off your online order at abotanicalcompany.com. All right, jumping straight into today's conversation, uh, we're going to talk about a lot of different things. And uh, as we kind of get this thing rolling, I've just got to let you guys know, EA Sports is bringing back NCAA football to the next generation of game consoles. So this is the best news that I think we've had in 2021. Uh, I'm really excited about it. And uh, I I mean, judging from my Twitter timeline, that's completely dominating uh, the timeline right now. So I think everybody else is excited about it as well. But NCAA football is making its return to uh, the next generation of gaming consoles. I'm, I'm pretty stoked about it. Um, anyway, we'll, uh, we'll talk about that in uh, this conversation with our weekly Tuesday guest, Eric G. Eric G, it's Groundhog Day again, and uh, the sun is shining. Yeah. It's actually a really beautiful day if you haven't uh, looked outside or been outside yet. So what is it? Does that mean six more weeks of winter because Punxsutawney Phil is seeing a shadow, or because it's only sunny here? So I mean, what, what, what is going on in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania? Is it cloudy there? I, I still have yet to figure out how the, all all this works. Is that what we're looking at? It's going to be cold for another six weeks. If or? he sees his shadow, I think it means six more weeks, right? Right. So okay. I guess. That's what we have in Oklahoma. I haven't ch- I haven't checked to see what the what the little rodent is doing. Isn't that what Isn't that what Bill Murray called him? Yeah, the, the little movie, rodent. The little Absolutely, rodent. absolutely. <laughs> I think we we need like a Punxsutawney. Uh, we need a Punxsutawney bat to come out of a little cave and and figure out if he sees a shadow to get rid of COVID. Yeah, there, there we go. There. Oh, geez. If you, I, all right, I'm sure you're. I feel Following. like this is a million-dollar spoof idea, by the way. Yeah, it, it no, but it, it, it'd be perfect. Look, I'm sure you're following everything going on on COVID. Uh, but because I wanted to talk about this, what I find to be the most hilarious story of the day, um, a, a lot of NBA arenas, because of COVID, are not allowing fans in. Was that the Thunder game last night? The only people there were, were media people and those that were involved in the game. Well, apparently the Atlanta Hawks are letting people in. <laughs> yeah. And last night, this guy, um, this guy by the name of Chris Carlos, who is a multimillionaire, he owns a, he is partners in an alcohol distribution company in the Atlanta area. He's been doing this since 1985, bought into his parents' business. Well, apparently he gets into it with, his, with LeBron. And his 25-year-old little collar trophy wife, I mean, if you see her, it feels like this guy could do a whole lot better than her. Stands up and gets into it with LeBron. Tells LeBron to sit down, shut the F up. LeBron calls her a B, tells her to sit down. And it's a huge mess. 
But honestly, what, what, what I find so appalling about the entire situation is why you, as a 60-something-year-old man, because I'm assuming he's in his 50s or his 60s. I mean, being in the business since 1985, maybe got into it late teens, early 20s. And this dude looks like he works out, takes care of himself. Why on earth do you think you can step to LeBron? I mean, eventually Adam Silver is going to need to, to let LeBron or somebody just go run our tests on a fan. And maybe <laughs> that'll shut people up. Oh, but man. I feel, what a, what a I terrible situation. For this it, it, well, it's terrible just in the fact that this Chris Carlos guy, like, I feel sorry for him. I did some research on him today. He just bought a $25 million penthouse in Miami uh, within the last year. The hell's he doing in and Atlanta, then? Wife, uh, who the hell knows? I guess he's a big Hawks fan. Guess he just wants to see Trey Young play. Um, but his wife, who was like 25, and just looks like she has had more collagen injections than um, most actresses have had at this, at this moment. I mean, honestly, her lips rival that of Steven Tyler's and Mick Jagger's. Yeah, Real Housewives I mean, season six. Yeah, I mean, uh, this lady is, is nothing more than, than an Instagram gold digger, and she's claiming she's not. But this dude, I'm like, the minute she stood up and told LeBron to F off, and the minute she started posting on Instagram, this guy had better have made sure that that prenup is ironclad. He better make sure that he's got one hell of a lawyer because she is the type, if he ever cheats on her, which he should. I mean, look, <laughs> if he listens to her talk, if he is listening to her talk, I mean, there are more intelligent women this guy could be with. I mean, this guy needs to be with a... CEO type, um, a lawyer. Uh, if, if you're a businessman and you're buying $25 million penthouses in Miami, there is a certain type of woman you need to be with. Strong, independent, self-made. Somebody that can check you just as much as you can check her because a relationship is, is very give and take. Like I think you, Colby, may have one of the most perfect relationships I've, I've ever seen as far as that goes. You're both broadcasters. You both understand what each other goes through. There is mutual respect for each other that, that goes beyond just simply you, you two both being good-looking people. I mean, there, there, is, there is a hell of a lot more there. That's the kind of relationship this guy needs. He needs someone that, you know, the minute he gets out of line, <laughs> she can put him in his place. Every guy needs that. Well, now he's got this 25-year-old woman who the only way she is going to put him in his place is when it comes to when they're sitting across from each other and there's divorce lawyers on each side and he's cheated on her with somebody of better ilk and she is bleeding him dry for millions. This guy, I, I don't know how you could be that smart in business, amass the kind of money he does and marry a woman like that. A woman that really much just wants your money and wants to show off on Instagram and honestly She's probably out if she could be having affairs with rock stars and NBA players and everybody else. I just, I feel bad for this guy. Like, and look, I'm not into feeling bad for people with multi, with, with, with multi billions or billions of dollars, but this guy honestly felt bad for him. It's like, man, bro, you, you gotta be smarter than this, don't you?
Don't you? Maybe maybe he's like Army Hammer and he's into some really weird shit and she uh, is totally into it as well. Or or she's uh, more than willing to uh, to do that, that sort of stuff with him. I don't know. Yeah, there, yeah. There's always a reason, it, Eric. There's what, always a reason. So, yeah, because when they do role playing or cosplaying or LARPing, um, which I guess you could do, you know, live action role play in the bedroom as well. There's going to be a new vet sitting out front with a big bow on it the next day, or there's going to be a you know fifty carat diamond ring sitting on on the bed. Yeah. She's into it because of the payoff, and the payoff is coming in material things. But God, I mean, if that's what you're into, bro, stay single. Yeah, I mean, you can do that as an investment. I mean, there are women that will just gladly take your money, and they understand it's a business transaction. You understand it's a business transaction. There's transparency in all this. This is all we're we're into it for. You're giving me whatever kinks I have, and I'm I, I'm taking care of your household. That that that's understandable. There's something that I, I I hate to say. There's something kind of pure about that. How do you know that's Again, not what this you, is, though? I mean, her payoff is you know going courtside to, he, to Hawks games. Because if he put a ring on it, that's the dumbest. Once you legally bind yourself to something like this, you're an idiot. That needs to not be in your house. That not needs to be. That doesn't need to be in your business. It doesn't need to be in your fridge. Uh, you know, no. That you take them out to dinner every once in a while when you're when you're having that kind of relationship. But once they worm in on a personal level, she is going to figure out her way. She's going to figure out a way to worm her way into your into your business, man, bro. I'm telling you that this woman is cunning. You just you watch that video for the two minutes, and you are just thinking to yourself, "My God, this dude's going to be in the outhouse before it's all done." And ladies, don't act, don't act like like you're not that you won't fall victim to this either. Rich women can fall victim to this just as rich men can. You know, you're a little bit older, right? All of a sudden, you find that younger guy. No, there's old diggers too. That's I am just I'm all about marrying on your level. And when you are when you've achieved such high financial gains or professional gains, you need someone that you that's either been with you from when you were really young and watched you go up the ladder and supported you every bit of the way and you supported them or you need someone that's achieved on your level in, in order for it to work i mean honestly this i i don't know what kind of man this this woman honestly could be with. i mean what are you talking about seriously well what, what do you have in common i mean how how Yes, so she looks great in a bikini, so she'll wear the, the Princess Leah slave costume. At what point are you, are, is there any conversation going on in your house? Well, I mean, are y'all living in separate well, bedrooms? Well, if there wasn't before, now that? they can bond over their LeBron experience. Yes, I guess that, I guess that's it. You know, every conversation. Remember when you told LeBron to F off? <laughs> that was so funny here. Uh, Finally, they it. have common ground I, outside the bedroom. Yes, like I, I have to admit, I never understood that. And I'm not saying that. Look, if you find someone that's half your age and you're bond, and you can you can bond on some sort of common level, that's great. Your chances of it working out are probably slim and none, with Slim riding the horse on on, on the way out of town. So I just, 
I just saw that today and went, dude, dude, dude. So come here. I've got women I can introduce you to that, that will not take you, that, that don't care what kind of money you have <laughs> and are just, and are probably a hell of a lot more strong willed than she is. I mean, I, I should be this dude. That is what I should do. I should, I should be a dating agent for rich people because I, I, I better than knowing who to set them up with. I know who they should avoid. <laughs> I know the type of people they should avoid. Now you don't want this person. You don't want me. Why? Because I'm just going to die. I'm not a gold digger, but I will, you know, I won't do anything. If there's no motivation to do anything, if all I can do is get up and watch TV, if all, all you're telling me I have to do is binge Netflix all day, yeah, <laughs> you're going to get real tired of that real quick. Basically, what you're describing to me is you want to be a pimp for rich people. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Fair enough. That's it. Fair enough. You Look, know, I mean, it, everybody has dreams, and I support you 100%. Yeah, uh, and, and I'll charge a nominal. I'll, I'll charge a minimal fee for it. Like I don't even want your money. I just don't want you coming back to me three years from now, going, "Why did you set me up with this psycho?" No, trust me. Who I'm going to set you up with? Y'all can y'all can have some hellacious fights, but in the end, you guys are going to realize you're best for each other, and you're <laughs> you're not having to uh, pay out large amounts of alimony because. He found some hot twenty-year-old who just keeps spending half her half her time at plastic surgeon's office. That's that's not what you need in life. You, you don't need that. You don't need that at all. <sighs> Unlocking the secrets to the world here on the podcast. <laughs> I love it. I um. Uh. I woke up this morning. I didn't even realize. Like every year, Groundhog Day rolls around, and. I don't even realize it's Groundhog Day until I see all the uh, the Bill Murray memes. Yeah, that's well, and and you know, I haven't looked today because I've been watching NBA Network, but I would imagine or NBA TV. I would imagine there is some either AMC or TCM or TNT. Somebody doesn't somebody have to be playing that movie all freaking day today? Somebody will, yeah, no doubt. So I mean, it's just kind of the kind of the ground, the ground, and and has it I this Groundhog Day I think in a lot of ways has lost its meaning because what we think of as Groundhog Day now because of that movie and because of that movie has become so so basically part of our our lexicon and the culture that we just think of Groundhog Day now as just a constant repeat of one day to the next more than the <laughs> right. actual groundhog day, <laughs> no which doubt. is supposed to signal we're getting closer to spring. I mean, that just, it's, it's just interesting how that is, how that has changed. And you know what? I'm disappointed in you because you being the Saved by the Bell fan mentioned nothing about Screech dying yesterday. And we didn't pour one out for Screech. We didn't, you know, give him his proper due, but Dustin Diamond, you are an American treasure for, for your time on Saved by the Bell. Thank you. Thank you for, for, for giving us Screech and making us realize uh, nerds have, have no chance with a woman like Mark Voorhees. That, that's, that's what you gave us, Dustin Dye. God rest his soul. I mean, he had that one episode where he and Kelly Kapowski were uh, dangerously close to, to uh, hitting it off. Are you serious? I missed that. I honestly missed that one. And I can only imagine, like, when they got handed the script, they were looking at it like, okay, what? yeah, no. Yeah. 
Like e- even for as unbelievable as this show is, this is even taking it a step too far. Aren't we kind of jumping the shark here? <laughs> yeah, a little bit ridiculous. Um, but yeah, <laughs> it that I, I didn't realize that he had had cancer. Um, so when I saw the news yesterday, I I, I was totally oblivious to the reason. Um, also, I didn't realize he was only forty four years old. I, I guess like you know, I grew up watching that show, obviously, but. I just always felt like they were so much older, you know. When you're a, when you're a kid and you see anybody that's that's in high school, um, you just I, I think you just automatically have in your mind like they're just years and years and years older rather than just that that short amount of time. And uh, I was like, holy cow, he's only forty four. Yeah, that that's what blew me away about it. And forty four cancer, and you think about the life that he lived after say by the bell i mean it was a pretty it was a pretty rough life really um, rough life i he went i mean he went through a lot of scandals he had the the extremely weird sex tape which even is, is, is too too weird for me to even get to, to even go down those roads but he is um he was a guy that just in a lot of ways he, he he struggled with what with what a lot of actors struggle with, which is he got typecast, and there wasn't a way for anyone to see him other than Screech. And really, for a lot of those, a lot of the people on yeah. that show, they were just the character. I mean, Mario Lopez probably did the best job of reinventing himself with the Access Hollywood thing. I think Tip, Tiffany Thiessen had a couple of series. Uh, Elizabeth Barkley did give us that Academy Award movie. Uh, was it Showgirls? Showgirls, um, yeah. I think that was. I think that was nominated for an Academy or one Best Picture or something. But yeah, for sure. With it, with the uh, the most realistic sex scene of all time in the swimming pool. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, it, that, that, that's <laughs> when we get home. It's just the cultural touchstone that we just don't <laughs> delve into enough. As, as far as its, its impact on society and how it taught us so much about Vegas and how weird Tom McLaughlin really was. Um, but <laughs> that's a weird dude, by the way. I mean, is he what, a weird like, dude? I've, I don't know that I've ever seen any sort of like interview with him or anything like that. So, uh, no, but when Ray Van Derek is the most normal character you play in any movie, Ray Van Derrick in the doors, you're a weird guy. Yeah. You're either a really weird guy or you're just extremely normal and this is how you're getting your weirdness out is is on screen. Um but no I was just I always felt bad for Dustin Diamond because it was yeah. like, wow man, you had you had all the success so young. So young. And, and probably had a ton of money so young and then all of a sudden it's just like it's gone. I mean like it, it just disappears after they decide they're taking your show off the air. You've aged out. They can't do it. And, you know, how many auditions did he go to? What did he and his agent go through to struggle? I mean, I'm, I'm really interested in that story and, and believe it's a very it's a very cautionary tale to anybody that wants to get in that business or really any business at all of just how fleeting success can be. And it's a tale of what's really important to have, not necessarily just something to fall back on, but really look at what you value. And, and saying that as someone that, you know, for a long time, career was first, all I cared about was my career. 
And you look at a guy like him and just how he spiraled out of that. And I don't know. I, I think it's one of those tales that needs to be told. And, and people say, well, it's an old tale. No, it's an important tale. Because anyone who's getting into that business needs to know that, one, it doesn't always work out. And two, when it does, it may not, it may not last long. Not, not, not everybody's going to be George Clooney and have a career that lasts for 50 years or not everyone's going to be Meryl Streep. Sometimes you get one TV series. Sometimes you get one movie and that's it. And it's the importance of continuing to reinvent yourself. That's what I believe that his story tells. And, you know, 44 to get cancer. I mean, I know he smoked, but still it's just, it, that's still weird. I mean, think about how, how short life can be. 44 years is, is really nothing. I mean, once you get once you get to that age, you don't really feel like you've lived a very long. You don't feel like you've lived a long time, right? Because it it does go it goes fast once you get once you get a full time job and you're working eight hours a day, twelve hours a day. That's when it, things just kind of kind of speed up, and then you look up a few years later and you're like, "Holy crap! How did I get this?" How did it become ten years? And that—that's kind of what where where it is, right? I mean, that that that's life in general. I think it's just a good cautionary tale for life. Yeah. Long, oh, the long winded, the long winded segment on Destiny. <laughs> <Dine. laughs> well, the the whole backstory. I don't know how many people are familiar with the whole Say by the Bell backstory, but you know, he was he was younger than all the other cast members. So when you know during the heyday. He was kind of left out of, of anything outside of, of the show uh, because he was younger than the, the rest of the group and they didn't really hang out with him. And so I think there was a sense of um, not feeling connected with the rest of the crew. And then obviously in the later stages, uh, you know, when he wrote the book, the tell-all book about Saved by the Bell, um, you know, I, I think some people felt like he was burning bridges, but I think in his mind there were no bridges to be burned anyway because he didn't really feel like he was a part of um, you know, their world, so to speak. So it was, it's a, it's a very bizarre, I think behind the scenes situation with Dustin Diamond and Saved by the Bell. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like he was, you know, he was one of the OGs of that show. If you go back to the Miss Bliss days and, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's just, it's, uh, it's crazy. I mean, that's, that, you know, Saved by the Bell is one of those shows that like when I was growing up, I felt like it was on probably like eight times a day. I mean, from, from like noon until six o'clock, you could find it on like WGN or TNT or TBS or somewhere, you know, anywhere between those hours and, uh, and, and especially in the mornings. Um, I, you know, I remember it always being on the TV is like, I'm, I'm eating cereal, getting ready for school. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's just, you know, so you watch, you watch a character like that for a, for that long of a period of time. And, uh, it's just kind of, it's crazy to see somebody like that pass away. Well, in a weird way, you feel like you get to know them. Uh, that, that, that's the weird thing about television and about media in general. I mean, even social media, when you just interact with people on social media, you start to feel like you get to know them at a more personal level. So when they pass, it feels like you've, you've lost something that you're close to, which in a way is so strange because... Maybe you've never met this person. The only contact you've had with them is is through the television or through the computer. But all of a sudden, they're gone, and you feel like a part of you went with them. And that is just that is, I, 
trying to think of another word other than than weird. But when you you sit back and you look at it, yeah, I think sometimes we get more upset when people like like Dustin Diamond pass away than really our own family because we we've in some in a lot of ways we've spent more time with them. We spent more time watching Say by the Bell than probably we spend with our aunts and uncles and our parents after we grow up. That I mean, think yeah. about how no, much, how many right. hours we we spend in front of the TV. I would I would venture to say that there are people out there that know the characters on Friends better than they know their own family. <laughs> like like they know right. everything about Phoebe or everything about Chandler and couldn't tell you more than three facts about their cousins or uncles or aunts because they're just not that close or they live in different yeah. states. And then you think, well, I'm going to call them. But then you get caught up in work, call them. And so you sit down and you're having a sandwich. And, oh, hey, well, there's that episode of Friends where Ross and Rachel get into a fight. All right, that's every single episode of Friends. But you sit down and you watch it. And then there's another one and another one and another one. And then it's like four hours. You look up, you realize. You accomplish nothing that day yeah. other than to watch Friends, but... Well, just like hey, Saved by the Bell, Friends, is, like. Friends can be found on some network channel at, at some point of the day, no matter yeah. what time of day it is. So there you go. It's always and, and, on. And do not lie. I'm older than Colby, but don't lie. When you were in college, you watched Saved by the Bell, because after you got done with class, the last thing you wanted to do was watch some show that was going to challenge you and make you think. <laughs> <laughs> you just needed... You needed to see Jessie melt down over her speed addiction. I'm you so needed- excited. Yeah, I was so excited. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You need Miss Bliss. You need Miss Bliss and, and, Zach, and Zach's father to be involved and it to get awkward. You needed that. Yeah. Time out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look into the camera awkwardly and talk to the audience. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and we didn't even mention, mention uh, the weirdness of Mr. Belding. No, that um, no principal should ever be that close to a student ever <laughs> know that much about him. Exactly, exactly. That's... I, mean, I honestly, the best teacher-student relationship, the healthiest te- teacher-student relationship, is Mr. Hand and Jeff Spicoli. <laughs> That's the way all teacher-student Amen relationships to need to be. Amen to that. <laughs> it's our pizza, Eric. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well. <laughs> By the way, two of my uh, two of my childhood crushes, we've uh, we've talked about their their movies or shows. Saved by the Bell, Tiffany Amber Thiessen, or I guess she's just going by Tiffany Thiessen these days. Uh, she was on, uh, pardon my take, maybe like a month ago. Uh, it was, oh wow! And it was it was actually a pretty good interview. And then uh, Phoebe Cates from Fast Times. See, I was a Jennifer Jason Lee guy. In, in really? that, I always, yes, always was much more into Jennifer Jason Lee in that movie and, and her character because those were the kind of girls I talked to were the Jennifer Jason Lee girls. I was Mark Ratner. <laughs> I wanted to, I, I wanted to be Jefferson. I wanted yeah, to be yeah. Jefferson. There's nobody in that movie I wanted more to be than Jefferson, but I was Mark Ratner, and a girl like Jennifer Jason Lee walks into class, and you're completely dumbstruck, and <laughs> you you fumble around trying to talk to her, and then your friend, um, Brian Allen, I'll call him out by name, 
was much more the, the Damone character, much more confident, had more way about him, and, and then he ends up with her, and then y'all end up fighting. Um, no, that was that that that, that movie hit very close to home for me because that's how my high school was. That was my high school. That was my life from junior high to high school. So on, uh, on the I podcast, was, do I need to put uh, AKA Mark Ratner on your nameplate underneath your yeah. name? Yeah, no, that, that that's perfect. Right. No, that's perfect. But I mean, admit, we all, man, if you played sports, you wanted to be Jefferson. You wanted somebody to buy you a trans No doubt. You wanted to kill that poor quarterback. I, I still believe that that is my favorite part of that movie is when he walks out after Spicoli has tra- trashed that trans amp. Poor Lincoln High. Oh, Lincoln was never <laughs> going to survive after that happened. Interesting fact about that movie. I give you one interesting fact about that movie, and I did not know this until I lived in Albuquerque, but the uniforms that they wore and the logos they wore, those were, uh, Richmond High was from the University of New Mexico. Really? The 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 cherry and silver, yes. Yes, it was. So that's, that's what they used. And I'm still pretty convinced that other than Brian Urlacher, uh, Forrest Whitaker's character, Jefferson, was probably tougher than anybody that New Mexico ever had, at least while I was down there. Yeah, covering I was about to say, Jefferson definitely makes the uh, the fictional movie character lineup, right? Like, if we're doing an all-movie yes. character lineup, like, he's one of the three linebackers? Yes, definitely. I mean, well, it's, it's yes. Jefferson, it's Alvin Mack, and it's uh, Bobby Boucher, I would imagine. Mm, I don't know about Bobby Boucher. I, I, uh, the, mm. All right, okay, you know what? That's fair. Just make the case for another movie linebacker. That's what I'm trying to think of. Uh, I'm trying to think if there was one in North Dallas 40. And that's what I can't remember. I don't remember if there was a linebacker character. Remember, you had a lineman, a wide receiver, and a quarterback. Yeah, I can't remember a linebacker uh-huh. either. But in fairness, I don't think I've seen that movie in probably at least more than five oh, years. That, that's one you got to dust off every year. That, that's one you got there for as good as any given Sunday can be about the business of the NFL. North Dallas 40 does a much better job of the cold calculating yeah. side of the business. Yeah. And what, what's interesting is that scene where Nick Nolte, one of the last scenes of the movies where, where he is in with the GM, I think it's the owner and the coach, and they've got pictures of him at the party where he's smoking dope, and they're deciding that, I can't remember if they were going to release him or his contract was, was, was going to be lower or whatever the situation was. Back when it was a capital offense, basically. Yeah, and, and essentially they blackmailed him to to get the money where they to get the money where they wanted. What's so interesting about that is if you read Skip Bayless's book, God's Coach, essentially Tech Schramm and the Dallas Cowboys employed that practice. Like they knew everything about their players. They knew who was having affairs, where they were hanging out, um, what you know, what they could get on them. And in a sense, it was a ploy to get them to sign with the Cowboys for less than what they would make with other teams if they were, if the contract was up. So, I mean, you think about that, and he just makes it, there's just a great point that he makes when the coach says something about the team, and he says, well, hell, B.O., we're not the team. You and I aren't the team. They're the team. And he's talking to the people in the front office, and it's like, yep, 
boom, right there. That's what it is. Yeah. And that part, it, that is not a fictional scene. That is a true scene with a true statement that I don't know how many fans were really, I don't know how many sports fans really got their eyes open because of that movie because a lot of that, you didn't have 24 seven sports coverage when that movie came out. But that scene right there is just so damn on the money for what sports is that, or at least professional sports is that now, I, I think now we finally get it. And I think for the exception of Kevin Durant, maybe Golden State for the most part, most fans end up siding with the players and they realize that, Hey, um, they'll use you up and get rid of you as soon as you possibly can. I still, to this day, think that movie holds up so well. And the book was written. I know it's fictional, but it just, it, it paints a picture of what the NFL life is like and does it in a way that is more bone chilling than any given Sunday could. Um, I, I think, I think a lot of, in a lot of things that, that Oliver Stone does, he just goes way too over the top, but that movie just, Oh my God. I just, when it's on, it's a stop down movie. And then you kind of walk away from it feeling like you need a shower <laughs> and you start feeling, and you start feeling bad yeah. for people who have played in the NFL. I got parts of my body from here to Pittsburgh. And it's like, yeah, once I started meeting professional athletes and getting to work with them the way that we have, it's like, okay, no, they're right. I mean, you play football, you're giving up a significant amount of your life for this game and no amount of millions is ever going to bring bring that back. I mean, you have shortened your life by playing that game and playing it for as long as you have and to just be told you're not worth it anymore after, after that kind of sacrifice. That's, damn. I mean, that's not even cold. That's sadistic. That's evil <laughs> in a lot of ways, but um, yeah, I, I highly recommend anybody watch that movie. Watch it before the Super Bowl. See how you feel about the Super Bowl after there watching that movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> b- before I forget, because uh, I want to hit on a point you just made, uh, the only two other linebackers that I think I could I could entertain being on the all-movie team would be Shark LeVay from Any Given Sunday, played by Lawrence uh, Taylor. Ah, okay. Or um, what was John Favreau's character's name in The Replacements? Oh, okay. I can't because he was pretty. He was a pretty remember. good linebacker too. Yes, and that an underrated comedy. It's a really good yeah. comedy movie. <laughs> I actually like that movie, and yeah. and I don't like a whole lot of football movies. That movie, that movie's good. That, that, there's something about that movie that's really entertaining. Yeah. Maybe it's the cheerleaders. Maybe it's the replacement cheerleaders. There you go. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, the uh, the all linebacker team is it's it's a good conversation to have. Uh, you mentioned the front office yes. and and how you know like obviously that movie shined a light on on what being a professional athlete is. I still kind of think that most people side with organizations over players. I don't think people fans of the game like like players having power. I think that um, if if it were either or. The majority of sports fans would rather, you know, the front offices and the organizations have all the power, and the players be at their mercy. That's an that's an interesting point. Um, the, the psychology of that gets even more interesting because why is that? And as much as you want to avoid it, that goes into racial roads 
as to why a lot of people feel that way. Well, I don't like the you know players being able to go where they want to go or do what they want to do. Okay, um, how much do you like being at your job? And maybe you get another offer, and you want to go work for another company, but being told you can't, or you needing a day off and you're sick, but you're going to get docked pay, or you being in a situation where you're performing at an extremely high level and you're bringing in money for the company, no matter what business it is, and you're doing a better job than anyone else is at at your particular profession, but people refuse to give you a raise because it's not a meritocracy. It's based on who you know, or it's based on, maybe longevity w- w- within the company. The thing about the athlete is, is I would think most people could identify with the athlete and, and understand what they're going through and, and realize we all go through it. We just don't get paid the way they do. But I mean, very few people are going to pay uh, millions of dollars or, okay, very few people are going to pay 30 bucks to go set up a nosebleed to watch us do anything. Okay. Right. That's why they can make the money. That's why they can make the money that they do because they are a, they're a one percent or less than one percent. Especially when when you look at the NBA, very very few people in the world can do what they do. But you may be in a business where very few people can do what you do, and you deserve to have the freedom to make as much money as you possibly can, and not have somebody penny pinch you, or if somebody has thrown an offer on the table and is willing to pay you what you think you're worth or more than what you think you're worth, you deserve to have the freedom to, to go do that. So, uh, yeah, I don't get it. I, I don't get why people would be upset. And if your manager sucks, and let's face it, we've all worked for bad bosses. Everybody has. Everybody <laughs> yeah. has worked for a manager that just sucks. Yeah. Either they don't know how to communicate, they don't fully grasp what the goal is, or they just, treat people bad or they're like most other people and they're just you know they're faking their way through it as much as anyone else yeah but if you had the power to make a change and get somebody in that position that would make it better for you and everybody else wouldn't you do that i mean the thing about it is for the athletes we should be i live vicariously through them because they have all the power that that i have ever wanted in my career they are controlling all the things that I have ever wanted to control. And it's not that I'm not grateful to the people that gave me jobs in, in radio and helped put food on my table and this roof over my head or, or any of that stuff. But man, I can think of three times in my business where I would have loved, or three times in my, in my radio career where I would have loved to talk to my general manager going, dude, we have got to get a new program director in here. We have got to get somebody in here who really understands the competition as well as they understand us and can communicate in a way to make us better because you don't have that right now. You've got a bully. You've got a guy that's got his hands tied up with another station and seems to be more in tune with them and wants to hang out with that staff. And we're getting put on the back burner, even though we're making more money than than that station. Um, because he doesn't feel like he has to put in enough with us or, hey, this guy has never done this format before and 
he doesn't. He seems to have bitten off more than he can chew, and certainly he he doesn't have to say. He doesn't have the, he, he he can't put his foot down and, and control things. He can only do it with certain people. So, yeah, there's God. What I what I love what I love to be in, in LeBron James or, or Paul George's shoes. I, I give anything to walk in and go. Yeah, you can do this, or this is going to happen. But in order to do that, they got to want you. And I've never been in a position where anybody's wanted me that bad. <laughs> I, I just think that my, my I've perspective. I've had co-workers they've wanted that bad, but not me. From my perspective of, of viewing the way people talk about these issues, every time like I, I get into one of these conversations, whether it's been on a radio show or online, like the majority of the comments I think come in on the side that I'm talking about. And I think a lot of it has to do with People don't feel like they have that power. People in general don't feel like they're treated special and, you know, given a red carpet, essentially, to, you know, make decisions that impact the people around them or to be able to go above their bosses. And I, I, I think because of that, people don't like to see anybody else have that advantage either. Like, it's, I don't know, it's a, it's a very strange thing that every time I feel like we talk about athletes, whether it's co- college kids is even worse, I think, than pro athletes, but... Um, it, it's, it's almost just like people don't like to see anyone have mo- like more special treatment than they get in their own situation. Like, I don't get that. So why should they like, that's, I feel like that's the response I get more than the opposite. And I'm not saying there aren't people that, that disagree with that, but I, I just feel like almost every single time I have a conversation about anything along these lines, that's kind of the, the majority take. It's jealousy. Uh, a, a lot of it's jealousy. Um, it, it's jealousy for not being in that position. I don't think it's necessarily jealousy because you don't have the skills that a, a Chris Paul has, or you're not necessarily going to be a guy that you know they throw on a mattress commercial like Tom Brady, and and, and people are going to automatically start buying a, a you know start buying a product because your face is on it. I think the jealousy is. Most of us don't. Most of us don't possess skills that that people are in demand, or people are in that that are so in demand that a boss can't say, right. "Hey, there are, there are fifty people behind you ready to take your job." So if you want more money, that's great. But if you're going to leave because you want more money, I'm not going to sweat it because I can pay this guy less because he just wants that job. That's the position most people are in, and that's what sucks. And, and and the and the anger shouldn't be directed at the athlete; it should be directed at those who are in power, who are in power and who have all the money. That's that's where the anger is because they're the ones controlling everything. Right? Athletes are just one of the very few in this world, and, and it's really you start to think about. I, I guess it's really workers in the entertainment industry. Um, maybe political realms, um, and I'm talking about people behind the scenes in the political realms. You're, you're, you're um, people who run campaigns, people who are advisors, but they're just some few of the very few people that get to call their own shots, which is all any of us want. Especially if you grew, uh, look, if you were born and grew up in this country, we are all about freedom. We are all about controlling our own destiny. And it's not until you reach, 
maybe, I mean, if you're smart, which I wasn't, which really wasn't, maybe when you, you get out of high school going into college, you realize that that's just not going to be the case. Um, sometimes it happens to you in your mid-20s. When you get that first full-time job and you're working your way up, um, you, you, you start to realize there's so much in life that is out of your control. And I think that's what bothers us more than anything is that um, you know, Kawhi Leonard can wake up tomorrow and decide that, all right, I- I'm kind of done with the Clippers. And he can call his agent right. and he can get the wheels, he can get the wheels turning on that. We just, we just want that. We want to be able to control our own destiny the way that they control their own destiny. And, and if we could ever get that, then we wouldn't have near, near as big a problem with it as, as we do now. Plus, there's, I mean, there's the other, a, a little bit more shallow talk of, hey, it's my team. I don't want my team to fall apart. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I fell in love with this team. You owe me a championship. Yeah. Well, no, not <laughs> not really. I mean, I don't owe you a championship. Um, but I think the one thing that, that athletes realize, and, and they're realizing it at a much younger a much younger age now is that happiness is fleeting and or life is fleeting and be happy. That's, that's all anybody wants in this world. Really. I mean, we talk about power, but the other thing they want is to just be happy. So if you're a workplace where you're miserable and you don't like your coworkers, you don't like your boss, you want to leave. Well, Jimmy Butler didn't like Jimmy yeah. Butler didn't like Minnesota. All right. I'm a, <laughs> Force my way out of here, man. Yeah. I mean, God, I, I, I just, ah, I love that freedom. I value that freedom. And, and I think it's fantastic that, that, that athletes can do that. And no, I still agree with every Thunder fan in the world. And I always will this day. I go, the move from Golden State or the move from Oklahoma City to Golden State was the weakest move in, in, in NBA history. And yes, I agree that it's. Just being a competitive person, if I was in Kevin Durant's shoes, I would have wanted to beat them before I joined them. I could not have joined them and, and felt good about it without beating them first, right. or at least getting another crack at them first. That just would have <clears throat> that would have just irritated the living hell for a long time. That being said, I love the fact that he had the freedom to do it, and, and I would want that. I want that for anyone. Want you to be able to go and work wherever you want to work, live where you want to live, just be freaking happy. Um, and, and that's why I can't falter hate on these guys for that. Coaches too, yeah. Um, especially in college, I mean, coaches have the freedom to leave wh- whenever they want. Um, and, and Pat Jones and I disagree with this. I do think, though, um, I will tell you this on the transfer portal. What is very dangerous about the transfer portal more than anything? Is when you've got close to a thousand kids in the transfer portal, my first thought was, are there that many scholarships out there? And what kids have got to be careful about is, all right, it seems really cool that you can walk into a coach and say, I'm not playing here anymore. I'm entering the transfer portal. And either he'll beg you to stay or you'll find some coach that recruited you and he'll want to give you a scholarship. Well, that may not necessarily be true. And you have got to know who you are as an athlete. Because if you're the third 
left guard on a team or, you know, you're, you're the third running back or whatever it is, hey, you might be in a really good situation being a backup at Oklahoma. And as badly as you want to play, just because Oklahoma State wanted you when they were recruiting you doesn't mean that they haven't given that scholarship to somebody that's better now. Right. Or there's not someone that they're recruiting that they think is better than you. So don't think that just because some coach told you how awesome you were when you were 17 that A, he actually meant it, but B, if he did mean it, he still thinks it now compared to what he has. That, I would say when we're talking about the transfer portal, that's the biggest misgiving kids have about all that. And I don't know, what I don't know is there's got to be, with as much of a business as college football is, I think in recruiting, when you're coaching, when you're dealing with them on a personal level, the best thing to do, because it is a business, and you're trying to prepare them for the business world, not just sports, but any business world, you have to be cold and calculating with them. You, you have to be upfront and honest. It doesn't mean that you have to just hit them with a sledgehammer when you're telling them how things are going to be, but you need to get... People need to start being honest with with athletes a little bit younger about this is the way things work. This is the way things that can that can turn out because way too often in the recruiting process and especially in basketball, kids are too coddled. And when you're too coddled and everyone's telling you you're great, sometimes that can lead to some misgivings. And I and I do think that's the great thing about professional professional sports is that. Once you hit free agency, you find out what your worth is real quick or how much people like you real quick based on the offers you get. And that can be a cold heart. You know, that that can be a real bust to the balls when you're thinking, hey, I'm going to get, I'm going to get a hundred million dollars. Oh no, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not getting that max deal. Yeah. Yeah. It blows me away how many people dislike the transfer portal. And again, for all the reasons we just talked about with the previous conversation, like it's it's these guys looking for a better opportunity for themselves. And and I know every you know a lot. There's so many people that are like, you just need to stick it out, and you committed to something, and you need to you know see it through. And it, it you know not every situation is the same. And like you mentioned, sometimes you just don't like your coworkers. You thought it was going to be a good situation. You committed yeah. somewhere. You get there, and you know that what they you know, represent may, may be completely contradictory to, to, you know, what you represent or, you know, it it could be a number of things, but like, what was the number you said was in the transfer portal? It was close to a thousand. Holy cow. Even at that number though, like that's still less than 10% of D one scholarship players. Like think about that. Think about the bottom 10% of a college football roster. Like, those guys, I mean, they're not getting on the field anyway. Like, it's go find some. No, they- but but are you? But are you at that moment? Like, um, and here's where I think it's really good. Sometimes, like, I can think of a really good transfer portal story. Um, Mabari Snotty, who was a running back at Edmond Santa Fe. And sorry, that's where my kid played. This is you know kind of as close as I follow recruiting. But he was a running back at Edmond Santa Fe. Was a preferred walk on at Oklahoma State. Got up there. Oklahoma State realized, Mabari realized, first year in, second year in, 
you know, you're going to struggle to get on the field. Right. Because we brought in some transfers. We brought in some scholarship players. They're just, they're, they're better than you are. Well, he found a home at, at Central Oklahoma where they gave him a scholarship. And I just wonder how many kids, like, if you just want to play, if you just want to get on the field, and you just want to contribute, if you're at Oklahoma or you're at OSU, are you willing to say to yourself, maybe I'm not good enough to play at the FBS level? Maybe it's FCS or maybe it's D2. Maybe there is, you know, maybe there's another level where I actually could go and play. Are you will? Are you willing to do that? And that's where I think that's where I think that, that, that that's where I have a problem with the transfer portal is how many because every kid when they're getting recruited, they think they're going to the NFL. But are you willing to, to realize a year in, two years in, okay, I'm, I'm never going to play at OU, so why not go to Southwestern or Central Oklahoma? Or why not go to Montana State? Maybe not only I can play, but we can win some ball games. I mean, that, you know, do, do yeah. kids understand that? Or is it, hey, I can't play at Oklahoma, Man, I think I could play at K State, and maybe that's not the case. Maybe you're not even good enough to play at K State. But you need—I mean, players need to know that they need an honest—they they need someone to be completely honest with them about what level they're at. And at that point, I do believe it's on somebody like Lincoln Riley or Mike Gundy, where if, where if a kid knows. Or if a kid just wants to play and you know he's not good enough to play at this level, you pick up the phone and call somebody. And you help that kid get a scholarship or you help him find a place on a team because that goes, one, that's just being a good human. Two, it goes a long way with their high school coaches when you go back and try and recruit. Yeah. <laughs> when you try and recruit, it's like, hey, they did this guy right. So. Yeah. One percent there, 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 of all, There's a lot to it. 1% of all college football players play in the NFL – so, like, already, just, I mean, reducing this thing to a minimal percentage of people, most of these guys are never going to play football again. So, like, no. you, you get, you get what, 12 games? Oh, in a normal year, you're, you're basically guaranteed 12 games, and you only have four years of yep. eligibility. That's not a lot of opportunities to play football games, especially if you've already, you know, sat on the bench for a year or two somewhere. And, and then you have to go learn a new system, and, you know, it's just... Like I, I just I, I hate how many people call these kid call these kids names when they decide they're going to go find a better opportunity for themselves to get on the field. And look, even for the guys that may have NFL opportunities, I think the same logic applies. One percent of yeah. all players make it to the next level, and you have such a limited amount of time to make an impression. If you're not getting that chance, like I, I just I, I I it's mind blowing to me how many people get upset with these kids for you know figuring out that hey it's not working here or I'm buried on a depth chart or you know sometimes it's just as simple as my skill set doesn't match what they're wanting with this specific position. So like there are just so many things that that play into these decisions. And so many people that call these kids names and, and laugh at them for, you know, not sticking it out for four years and for not wasting four years to maybe get that opportunity to play for one season. Uh, I, I It's just, it's crazy to me. It's, it's all about getting your opportunity to play. And then for the very few that have the chance to go to the next level, giving NFL scouts something to really pay attention to. So 
I don't know. I, I'm not saying well, there aren't exceptions to the rule. I know that there are obviously, you know, situations with like with everything that you can find that may contradict what I'm saying and, and guys just jumping from place to place for the sake of uh, of just jumping around. But uh, for the most part, I mean, I think guys probably have a pretty good idea in year one when they step on campus whether they're really good enough to be a next-level guy or not. And at that point, they kind of well, know whether it's just about getting playing time in college or it's an NFL situation. Well, and, and I think for a lot of fans, there's a couple of things. One, I never got that opportunity. You're playing for my team. That's <laughs> the team I would have I gladly, you know, I would have gladly stood on the sidelines for OU. Would you? Would, would you have had you, had you been in that situation? Yeah. You know, had you, had you been good enough to play, would you have done it? But And it's the same thing. That's the same that's the same guy who goes on Twitter and blasts the seventeen-year-old kid because he didn't choose to go to the school that he was. He wasn't for, very which, good anyway. That's my favorite. Yeah, I mean, just oh my god, really, really. I mean, think about everything these kids are being told. Think about the opportunities that they have. I mean, Norman is it for everybody. Stillwater isn't for everybody. Austin isn't for everybody. And just because you think Lincoln Riley is, you know, God's gift to coaching, it doesn't mean that this kid necessarily connected with him or feels like it's best to play for him in his career. And no, it's not that kid's loss. It's the kid's going to place where he feels he fits in better or likes the coach better. Get over it. Oh, my God. God, that, ugh. I honestly, Colby, I will tell you, I honestly wish we knew nothing about recruiting till the kids signed. <laughs> right. That, that's, like, we, I honestly wish the NCAA could figure out a way to shut down the website, shut down the talk, shut down the, you know, get rid of the stars. Let coaches quietly go about doing their business. And when dude signs, dude signs. And when he plays, he plays. I wish that's the way it is. Now, obviously, you're not putting that genie back in the bottle. And there's a lot of people whose livelihood, depending on it being the way that I despise. And look, nothing against you. Look, you want to go out and cover recruiting, man, it's hard, hard freaking work. Hard work. Um, There's a guy that used to be on our station regularly. We don't talk anymore for whatever reason but i respect him immensely just because of how hard the dude works and grinds and what he's willing to to give up to get the stories to get it to people but honestly um, those guys are among the hardest working people that cover sports i think yes they are i mean i i never wanted any part of that still don't want any part of it but and i understand they make their living off of it but it's just so the way that these kids are treated either with praise or with contempt and there's no middle ground (laughs) for them just trying to go through a process of picking a stupid college um and you know when a 47 year old guy is upset about the fact that some running back chose to go to texas over ou well bro you got your priorities messed up go spend some time with your kids or your wife if you have a kid and a wife um, you know, it just that whole idea of 
and I don't know what it is. I mean, is, is everybody trying to think, trying to jump on the train early of, of seeing the next Adrian Peterson or something? Like, I never, never understood it. Like, if you don't know the kid, if you don't know the family, why do you care so much? Like, I'm dead serious. Why do you care who Lincoln Riley's recruiting? Yeah, if you think he's a great coach and a great recruiter, don't you trust his judgment that he's bringing in people that are going to be good? And guess what? If they're not, Joe Castiglione's going to get rid of him. I mean, like, I got to say, that's just one aspect of sports I will never understand as long as I live. I'll never understand. I I understand the people that do it for a living. I do not understand people that follow it at all. Like, like, Nothing about it makes any sense to me whatsoever. <laughs> what uh, what was Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes recruiting numbers? Do you know? Not a clue. I would. Sh- well, I mean, Pat Mahomes ended Brady, up. Brady went to Michigan for crying out loud. Yeah, and he wasn't even one of the best. He, he wasn't even the best quarterback on campus. <laughs> I mean, I guess if you ask his coaches, or I guess he turned out to be, but had a lot of guys to fight through. I yeah. have no idea what Pat Mahomes' recruiting um, recruiting process was like because, like I said, he ended up at Texas Tech. I mean, for a guy that is could, could retire right now and be in the NFL Hall of Fame, and if he's not, it would be a joke. Um, I don't care what his numbers are. He may truly be the best football player we have ever seen. I've never um, seen a quarterback play the position better than Patrick Mahomes. I'm not saying he's the GOAT, because I've obviously ne- what Brady has accomplished is is just mind-blowing. But well, I don't have any pro- Look, if you want to say Pat Mahomes is the GOAT right now, I have no problem with that argument. And the, the, argue, the problem, the argument that I have is that he would have to win six to be the GOAT, which is ridiculous. Well, I don't think, yeah. That's... Because if you, know any, if you know anything about Tom Brady's story, Tom Brady didn't come into the league saying, I want to win six Super Bowls. No, Tom Brady came into the league saying, I want to take Drew Bledsoe's position away. And then the six Super Bowls happened organically, or as organically as they can in, in the NFL. So judging people by how many championships they win, is just it, it's that's an argument that doesn't hold that much water to me when you're talking about individuals like Michael versus LeBron, whatever the deal is. Yeah. Um, but do you say Pat Mahomes is a GOAT? Um, have I seen anybody? I will still argue that the best quarterback I've seen in my lifetime, athletically, game plan-wise, it's so hard for me not to say Roger Staubach. I mean, having lived in DFW, Colby, I believe I'm obligated to say that. I believe there's some contractual obligation I signed. I mean, you play for uh, America's team, so it's not a wrong nine. answer. <laughs> I think there's a guy, I think what I, I think at nine, I got a contract signed in front of me that says, well, when you're talking about the greatest quarterback <laughs> of all time, you must say Roger Stallback, and I just sign it, Fair give enough. a pint of blood. Yeah. And there's just something about And, like, I hated the Dallas Cowboys. I hated Tom Landry and what I thought they represent. Had I known that they were dirty and scummy, I would have loved them. <laughs> I love bad guys. They were bad guys. They were not good guys. Oh, um, you do but, love bad guys. That's hilarious. Yeah, I do. Look, I love the bad guys. The bad guys are so much more fun to root for in sports. They're so much more interesting. You know, like, get, get, give me A-Rod over Jeter every single day, and I know Yankee <laughs> fans will kill me for that, but I don't care. A-Rod is the more interesting of the two guys. Listen to them talk. Um, but 
Staubach. There was just, there's a mystique around Staubach. There is the athletic. There's the whole thing of him playing at Navy and winning the Heisman and yeah. him telling Stoic Tom Landry, all right, that's what you call Everybody thinks you're a great coach. Watch this. Um, so for me, it's Staubach. Mahomes, I've ne- I will say this much. I've never seen anybody play the position like Mahomes. Yeah. And it, like, I still have yet to watch a Pat Mahomes game where I'm going, yeah, I've seen that before. There's always something. He's, he'll, and he'll do something in the Super Bowl where we'll come back on Tuesday going, how did he, what did he, did you see that? I mean, I think by the time it's all said and done, and we talk about the greatest, football players, which is a, a, another discussion because then you're starting to talk about Big Buckish. You're talking about Jim Brown and Barry Sanders and Walter Payton, um, which apparently I'm stuck on running backs today, or Joe Montana or Tom Brady. I think Tom Brady is just a great football player above just being a great quarterback. I don't know if we'll ever see a better football player than Pat Mahomes. Yeah. Like, right now, you can buy into the hype and enjoy it while it's here. Because, bro, I'm telling you, you call him the GOAT now. A, I've got no problem with it. B, by the time his career's over, the, the, the highlight reel, you're not going to have enough time to show a Pat, a Pat Mahomes highlight reel through NFL films because it'll yeah. be 48 hours long or, or something ridiculous. It's just it's stunning. And and to think that he played, to think that he played for Cliff Kingsbury, Texas Tech, with no defense. Man, what could he have done? Had he, had he been on a team like Alabama that where he was surrounded with talent on both sides of the ball, um, not just one. He did have some good good complementary players at Texas Tech, but just not on defense. But this is, I'm trying to articulate it in a way. I mean, there's just something so gifted and special about him that I don't. I can honestly say I don't think we'll ever see another one like Pat Mahomes. I think there'll be guys that'll be close that'll possess some of the same skills, but it won't it won't be the same. It won't be the all inclusive package that he that, that he is. So I uh, I pulled up a rivals list while you were talking there um, for 2014, and I've got the uh, the rankings of just the quarterbacks. And not even just the quarterbacks, just the dual threat quarterbacks. So this isn't all. This isn't the entire quarterback class. This is just the guys that are considered to be dual threat quarterbacks in this class. So they nailed it. This is again on rivals. They nailed it with Deshaun Watson, who was their number one quarterback. Number two was Will Greer. Three is Trayon Harris, who I guess went to Florida. Four is Gerard okay. Hurd, who went to Texas and I think ended up like becoming a, a receiver. Uh, five, Brandon Harris, who was an LSU guy. Six, Clayton Thorson, Northwestern. Seven, William Crest, who went to West Virginia. I, I don't remember him at all. Um, eight, Rafe Peavy, who uh, went to Arkansas. Nine, Deshaun Kaiser, Notre Dame. He was a, a Green Bay Packer draft pick, I believe. Um... DJ Gillens, Wisconsin, number 10. Kendrick Doss, who went to Mississippi, number 11. And the number 12 <laughs> dual threat quarterback in the class of 2014, Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> so it was the Sean Watson, a bunch of dudes you never heard of, 
and then Deshaun Watson. Yeah. 11 guys you have forgotten about yeah. or never heard of than Pat Mahomes. Than Pat Mahomes. This is why I hate recruiting. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and Pat Mahomes was a three-star – so I'm I'm just looking at the uh, the pro style quarterbacks. There are 15 pro style quarterbacks in this class that are four stars or better. So there you wow. go. Wow. So at, yeah, well, and, and at best he would be he would be number 27, the number 27 quarterback in that class. <laughs> the greatest quarterback who maybe have ever ever played the game. The greatest, let's say, the greatest football players who have maybe ever stepped on the field. <laughs> A three-star quarterback. Oh wow, wow! Who the hell judged that? I get it. It's it's hindsight. It's twenty twenty, and you, you yeah. you're piling on at this point. Yeah. But yeah. oh my. God, really? I mean, really, honestly, Pat Mahomes strikes me as the Eric Dickerson type. This is, this is something that, that, that Pat Jones loves to bring up all the time. Your nine-year-old daughter can tell you Eric Dickerson was going to be an NFL Hall of Famer. Pat Mahomes strikes me as that type that if you saw him, you would just go, ooh, yeah, this guy can play. We, we, need, to, we, we need this guy. Yeah. Part of the problem, though, that, even at Tech, like, I was guilty of this. Part of it was, like, that, you know, being in that system, you know, there were so many guys that just, I mean, you could clearly tell that he was more physically gifted than Graham Harrell and Sonny Cumbie and B.J. Simmons and all those guys that came before him. But I, I think just, you know, it, I, it it's just probably human nature to kind of just group him in that same group because every guy that had gone through there statistically had basically done the same thing and you just didn't know if it was Patrick Mahomes or the offense to some degree. Like I said, you could clearly see that he was more physically gifted than the guys that were before him. But I think if, if he had gone somewhere else, maybe it would be a little bit easier to just tell like, Hey, this guy's just really, really good. So who do you give credit to for dispelling the myth that spread quarterbacks couldn't make the, couldn't make the, jump from college to the NFL because we've not only look Pat Mahomes is in his own category but you're looking at Kyler Murray you're looking at Baker Mayfield um Tim Tim Tebow didn't help his own cause that was like watching Sam Ellinger in, in the spread to some extent so who I mean is it do we give credit to is it Lamar Jackson is, is he the guy and I can't remember, was he drafted before Pat Mahomes? I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to I, Mahomes, I think Mahomes together. was the year before, but I think that uh, Mahomes didn't play his first year. So I think that Mahomes' rookie season was the year that Lamar Jackson became the quarterback late, right? I think he was. He like started yeah. the last like six or seven games of the year. So, I mean, so is it? Mahomes and Jackson. I mean, is it, I guess there isn't really just one. It's sort of the group of them. Yeah, I've, I, I mean, part of it has me. to do with the NFL offenses kind of going through this evolution as well to to become more you know spread friendly. So, you know, that's part of it. I I the other thing that it's done 
sort of the the ancillary, the cause and the cause and effect here is that um, it's also helped spread offensive linemen be able to make the jump from college to the NFL because that was a lot no of problems. No doubt. That you think about the, the, one of the main issues we talk about, well, why aren't you know, we think OU's linemen were good? It's like, well, why aren't any of them getting drafted? Well, NFL coaches don't want guys that have played in the spreads. They don't know how to put their hand on the ground. It's like, uh, okay, that's one dumb because if they're that <laughs> athletic, if they're that athletic, and, and most of those guys, Mike, especially the ones that OU recruits and, and, and develops, are just are they're all just mind blowingly a- athletic um, for that position. Um, you would think that they're all because we always hear the other thing we always hear is that offensive linemen are the smartest people on the team. Well, if you're the smartest people on the team and you're some of the most athletic people, it doesn't seem like it would take too much to teach them how to block in a more traditional style than if somebody who just stayed in a two-point stance. It seems like most of these guys would get it fairly quickly, and I think we've learned. We've seen it with Drew Samia. We've seen it with Orlando Brown, that these guys can easily make the jump. Oh, we saw with Russell O'Coon for crying out loud. I mean, because wasn't I mean, wasn't he playing in a spread off? When did Russell yeah. Okun play? Did he play? Yeah, yeah he was. He played uh, for Gundy, right? Yeah, with Zach Robinson and and uh, I, Kendall Hunter, Des Bryant, that that group. Yeah. Yeah. So you all right? So you're telling me that Russell Okun? I mean, at that point, I would just thought that was idiotic. Like, okay, so you're telling me Russell Okun is the only guy who played in the spread that can play in the NFL, no, nah, yeah. I'm, I'm not buying it. And because we've seen these quarterbacks succeed, and look, give credit to Texas high school football, where credit is due for essentially just making the spread the offense because it's easier to pick up. There, there are easier ways to coach that versus some of your more traditional offenses. It's, it's easier for kids to pick up. Credit them for instituting it. And then college is realizing, well, hey, instead of trying to rework all these kids' brain, let's just do what they're doing. We'll bring them in. We'll do what they're doing. We'll add our wrinkles to it. If they're smart enough, they'll pick it up. If not, they won't. But credit them. And and it's all filtered into the NFL. And honestly, in a lot of ways, it's given us a more fun brand of football. And what I'm seeing now is one of my main main complaints about Lincoln Riley was, and, and was that you play this kind of offense, you can't have a tough defense because you're not practicing against toughness every day. But you can be physical in the spread. You can work on being physical with your defense. We're seeing it with Alex Grinch. And I'll admit I was wrong. I totally will admit that I was wrong about that. Um, We saw with LSU, you can play really good defense in the spread. So all these myths about it, are getting distilled, which is why it's so disappointing to hear Nick Saban a few weeks ago say, well, the days of you know winning game with defense are over. I'm like, bro, I can show you three spread teams right now all in the state of Oklahoma who could win with their defense. So don't give me that crap. I mean, it's just every myth about the spread, every cliche about it is being debunked more and more as, as, the, as the week go on so it's just it's incredible it's incredible thank you pat mahomes thank you lamar jackson thank you uh kyler murray and baker mayfield for for helping us all out with that 
uh, before I get your Super Bowl uh, pick and we wrap this thing up, I've got to give you some breaking news that I just saw on my Twitter timeline. EA Sports just says, for those who never stop believing, dot, 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 and they posted a picture of a college football field with confetti all over it, and it says college football is coming back. They better not be messing with me. Because at the beginning at the beginning of this show, uh, we talked about how much time maybe we spent like watching shows and all of that. I I think it's I've probably spent years of my life playing EA Sports College football, NCAA football. Uh, I mean, dynasty season after dynasty season. So if they're bringing this thing back, like it's uh, 2021 is is uh, off to a great start. Uh, okay, so I'm assuming that in the bigger picture, the bigger picture of this, it means that the NIL is going to happen and that we're going to see athletes get some sort of retribution Yeah, from this because they're using them. Or are you just going to make generic athlete one, but he happens to have all of Spencer Rattler's, <laughs> all, 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 all of Spencer all, all of, uh, all of Spencer Rattler's characteristics. Hmm. Uh, I, I hope, I, I hope this means athletes are getting paid, but I'm like you and God, I feel sorry. I feel sorry for my kids um, because they're about to lose their PS five or their PS fours. We didn't get a PS five because once <laughs> daddy gets a hold of that game. Absolutely. I want to play is, NBA 2K. Sports Center uh, breaking. I want to play NBA 2K. Too damn bad. Too the, damn bad. The official Sports <laughs> Center account just tweeted breaking EA Sports is rebooting its college football series for the next generation consoles. So there you go. It's happening, Wait, Eric. It's yes. happening. All right. So um, two things that we here's two things that when, when you hear this podcast, what I want you to walk away with. All right. You got all right. anything out of it? One. The G family's getting a PS5. <laughs> two, it's, it, it's daddy. There you go. Yes. And, and there's you only going to be it. two games. Eric, they, you deserve it. Yes. I, I've, I've earned it. I have paid my dues as a father to enjoy my time with a Absolutely. PS5. And we're only going to have college football, and we're, and we're only going to have NBA 2K. Because um, I really need to learn how to play that game. It, uh, look, for as great as Madden is, NBA 2K is the best sports game out there, but it's but again, I'm an NBA fan, so I'll be biased. Yeah, I would imagine NCAA football will trump that, but it'll be a close race between those two. But yes, uh, and I will let my kids look at the PS5. I'll let them come in and look there at it. Go. I'm not cold. You can watch. Yeah, tune into my <laughs> Twitch channel, and yeah, you can enjoy it that way. Get your hand off that controller. <laughs> <laughs> All right, no we- one told you to touch that. I, I, we got to wrap this thing up, but uh, give me your Super Bowl pick real quick. Uh, Buccaneers 28, Chiefs 24. All right. This, th- Tuesday will be fun because I'm on the other side of the fence. I'm going Chiefs, so uh, Tuesday will be fun. Are you Chiefs big or Chiefs close? Uh, like Chiefs by 10, probably. Uh, I, I, I don't know what I want to have happen. I just yeah. keep feeling that it's all setting up for this Tom Brady coronation where which a lot of feelings in that a lot of emotions don't yeah. know how to feel about that but if that's the case you know good for him 
There you go. Right, well, on Sunday, you find out as that game kicks off whether you're actually a Patriots fan or a Tom Brady fan. So, yeah, I I don't know. With him, it's Gronk too. It's like oh yeah, man, that's I, true. I don't that's want true. these I don't want these guys to be happy. But why can't it be with us? Why can't it be with us? <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, buddy. Have a good week. Uh, we will uh, obviously be excited about the Super Bowl on Sunday, and we'll catch up next Tuesday. Have a good one, Colby. See you, buddy. That was Eric G. from the Tulsa Sports Animal joining me on the Colby Daniels podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products, including Kratom, CBD, and the new Delta 8 capsules. If you're unfamiliar with any of these products, don't hesitate to give them a call at 405-458-9699 and ask questions. Let them educate you on how these products can benefit your daily life. Plus, when you order online, abotanicalcompany.com, we're saving you 15% when you use the discount code ColbyShow, C-O-L-B-Y-S-H-O-W. Discount code ColbyShow for 15% off your online order at abotanicalcompany.com. Everybody, have a great day, stay safe, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Podcast is over.